Hey, this is Scott Galloway, author, professor, entrepreneur, and most importantly, host of the Prop G podcast. We got a special series running on right now called The Future of Work, where I answer all your questions on, surprise, The Future of Work. Questions including, what are we missing when we work remotely? Or how do we handle work-life balance when a major opportunity comes knocking? From the provocative to the technical, we're offering insights you won't want to miss. So tune in to The Future of Work, a Pod special sponsored by Canva. You can find it on the Pod wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome to First Bite, our Detroit Lions preview podcast. It is week 11. Lions are on a two-game winning streak, trying to make it three against the New York football giants. My name is Jeremy Reisman. I'm the producer at Pride of Detroit and your co-host for First Bite. With me, as always, is senior editor of Pride of Detroit at Ryan underscore POD on Twitter. Ryan Matthews is here. How are we doing, buddy? Disgruntled, but we don't need to get into it right now. We can save that for off stream. <laughs> um, but I'm, I'm happy to be talking about a football team. That has won two games in a row. Hey, all only winners in this game. We got we got a team that has only lost two games all season, facing a team that on, on a two-game winning streak. And to help us break down those New York Giants, we have the host of the Big Blue Banter podcast and a writer for our friends over at Big Blue View, Nick Filato is here. Nick, how we doing, man? Jeremy, Ryan, thank you so much for having me. And I got to say, it's not a surprising that the New York Giants are 7-2 and two right now, <laughs> but it's not the wackiest thing in the world. And Ryan, I wanted to ask you a question, and I'm sure you've heard this so many times throughout your professional career. You have the same name and spelling as former Philadelphia Eagles running back Ryan <laughs> Matthews. How many times have you heard that? Uh, I've heard it more times than his collarbone has been broken. So that, <laughs> that's, that's, that, that says something. Yeah. <laughs> I'm sure. So I apologize for that then. <laughs> <laughs> no worries. But but you kind of have a special place in your heart because he spells Matthews the correct way, right? That That's correct, Jeremy. Yes. <laughs> okay, cool. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, here in our first bite podcast, we like to break things down, uh, but with two segments, the first one being when the opponent has the ball, second one when the Lions have the ball. So let's start right there. When the Giants have the ball, uh, maybe... I, I can't even tell you if, if if the offense or the defense is the strength of this team. Obviously, maybe you'll have more insight there. But let's start with undoubtedly the start, the strength of the team. That is Saquon Barkley. So I, I don't know if you want to put a percentage on this, but like how essential is he to everything that they do on offense? The offense runs through Saquon Barkley. And we saw that last week against the Houston Texans. I don't kind of want to start maybe a little bit with this coaching staff. The Giants bring in Brian Dable, right? They went from Joe Judge and Jason Garrett to Brian Dable and Mike Kafka. And that cannot be understated, the amount of upgrade that is from a creativity and adaptability standpoint and in terms of what they do in-game with their in-game adjustments. I feel like that is something that has to be addressed. But Saquon Barkley is now a year removed from that torn ACL back in 2020 that he suffered against the Chicago Bears up at Soldier Field. Last year, rolled his ankle against Dallas, kind of dealt with some injuries. Giants were pathetic, whatever. Right now, though, this guy just had 35 carries last week against the Houston Texans. And it's because the Houston Texans are 32nd defending the run. I believe you guys are 31st by a lot of metrics as well. So mm -hmm. I would prepare to see a lot of Saquon Barkley. <laughs> the offense is the offense wants to run the football similar to the Detroit Lions to set up the play action passes, to work the middle of the field, and then to try to create explosive plays, which is something that the New York Giants just do not do through the air. A lot of their explosive plays are Saquon Barkley, whether that is Saquon Barkley's legs or him receiving passes a little bit earlier in the season against Green Bay. But I think what this coaching staff wants to do is just establish the run, control the ball, 
these long drives. It means you're going to have a lot of long drives. It means that the defense is going to get worn down. And then you try to get into the red zone. And that's where you just need to be efficient. And we've seen the Giants be efficient in the red zone. A lot of plays that are designed to the tight ends. Back when Daniel Bellinger was healthy, he was one of the primary targets in that area. And they're creative plays. It's not just we're going to drop back. A lot of it's set off the play action bootleg, play action bootleg, RPO sometimes where if you don't hand the football off the Saquon Barkley, you have two options that you can throw to to one side or Daniel Jones, since you're athletic, you can take it as well. But all of that is centralized around the fact that the defense is paying attention to Saquon Barkley. So I can't even discuss with you guys how important this individual is. I'm glad that he's healthy. I think he is an excellent person, and I think he is one of the best and most explosive players on this team. Expect to see eight, or in the league, I should say, expect to see eight offensive linemen on the field at the same time, boys. That's what you guys are going to be looking at. That's what happened against the Houston Texans. They had Nick Gates, a former center, acting as the sniffer H-back in motion. Talking about a lot of beef. The Giants are going to be like, we want to run the football, you guys stop us. That's what they did against the Houston Texans. The Texans could not. We'll see if Detroit can. Well, I want to follow up real quick, Nick, with another question about Saquon Barkley, because, you know, as you mentioned, you know, some of his damage is done through the air as, as their, you know, primary pass catcher. Like he has the most targets on the team. Um, I don't know how many teams around the league can say that, that the running back uh, has the most targets of any of their pass catchers, but he has 36 on the season. Like how much of a factor is he in their passing game? Um, and, and how do they utilize him? So last week they only had one, he only had one target and it was off of a play action bootleg where Saquon Barkley kind of came right underneath Daniel Jones and Daniel Jones just ended up kind of pitching it to him and he caught it for a couple yards. And that was his only target Seattle. It was a little bit of a comeback mode. So he received some targets in the fourth quarter, but we haven't necessarily seen him be utilized as a receiver as much recently. We saw it a lot more in the beginning of the season. We saw it a lot against Tennessee in week one in green Bay. He was a vital part of what the New York giants were going to get two huge plays through the air. And he finished that game with, I think uh, receiving, I don't have it pulled up in front of me, but he was a huge factor in terms of what he was going to do on third downs as a receiving threat. I still think that you can isolate him against certain linebackers and what linebacker in the NFL is going to have the athletic ability in man coverage, which the Detroit Lions run a lot of, to cover a player like Saquon Barkley on arrow routes and on routes like that. But the big reason why we haven't seen as much of it recently, I think, is because the Giants like to run six, seven-man protections because... Their offensive line is just not that great at pass blocking right now. They're, they're pretty good at run blocking, I'll say, but pass blocking is somewhat of a liability, so you get a lot of Saquon Barkley chipping and releasing. Still get your design screens every now and again to the tight end and to Saquon Barkley, but I think I think his ability in pass protection has kind of hindered his upside as a receiver. Well, I want to I jump right there to, to the offensive line a little bit um, and, and talk some more about that. Um, obviously, Evan Neal's dealing with an injury, missed last week. Um, sounds like maybe he's trending towards towards playing this week. He's practiced both both days, I believe, in a limited fashion. Um, first off, how's he doing? And then kind of give your assessment of the rest of the offensive line. Where where are the strengths? Where are the weaknesses? I know the left tackle is, is, is fantastic. Yeah, Andrew Thomas is probably... I don't know. I don't watch all 32 teams, but he has to be in the consideration for the best left tackle in the NFL, which if you would have said that back in 2020, people would have thought you were crazy because he struggled as a rookie. And I think that can be related to Evan Neal. Now, I don't think Evan Neal's struggles were as glaring as Andrew Thomas, but I also think Evan Neal's coaching staff is a lot better than Andrew Thomas's coaching staff back in 2020. Right. And they're not putting Evan Neal in a position to where he's going to fail a lot. The Giants, they don't really run a lot of traditional drop back 
type of passes, a lot of true passes. They'll do it when they have to, but a lot of their passing attack, as I said, is set up off the play action and the play action bootleg. So you're not really taking a true pass it. I think Evan Neal has had flashes in the run game. He hasn't been terrible, but he's definitely struggled through the first half of the season before he suffered his injury against Jacksonville. I think he, I think the struggles are the same struggles that we saw when he was at Alabama. Gets his chest in front of his feet a lot, leans into contact. His eyes, his feet, and his hands aren't always in unison, but you still see plays where he can get his hands on you and you're just done. You're just eliminated because he has those heavy hands. He's very, very strong grip strength, but you have to play with your feet underneath you more. And I think that's Evan Neal's probably biggest bugaboo as of right now. So that's prior to the injury. Now, I don't know if he's going to play this week. Limited in practice. We'll see. I, I'm, I remain high on Evan Neal. I thought that it would probably start off a little rocky, so we'll have to wait and see exactly how that materializes. In terms of the rest of the offensive line, Andrew Thomas, absolute just stone, one of the best tackles in the league in pass and, uh, and as a run blocker. And then you have John Feliciano at center. I feel like John Feliciano was gritty. He's tough. He calls himself a scumbag. I like that type of mentality. It's kind of cool. But he'll have his mistakes in pass protection. So will right guard Mark Lewinsky. Mark Lewinsky is uh, somebody that the Giants signed in free agency from the Indianapolis Colts. I feel like he's really quick, really um, fleet of foot in terms of climbing to the second level, locating linebackers and safeties and things of that nature. I like him as a run blocker. I do think he has a soft shoulder. I think he struggles with power moves. I think he can get bullied back into the pocket. Same with John Feliciano. Both of their anchors are a little suspect. And that brings me to the left guard position. And why I'm bringing the left guard position up last is because Shane Lemieux is somebody who was supposed to have that position. And now he is going to come back eventually. I don't expect him to play in this game. But then you have Ben Bredesen. He's also on IR. So it's kind of been a rotating door. But the Giants spent a day two pick on Josh Azudu in the third round. And he was somebody that a lot of people were like, oh, that's a reach. I didn't really know much about Josh Azudu. I went and I watched this film out of UNC and I was like, wow, if this kid can just clean up little things about his game, there's so much upside because he is so damn athletic. He's great on pulls. He's awesome going up to the second level and locating linebackers and safeties. And if he gets his hands and fits his hands inside of you, you're eliminated because he's very, very strong with what he can do with his hands in those types of situations. So, He's going to be the starter against the Detroit Lions. He's going to have some mistakes sometimes, I think. That's something that's, I don't want to say it's been consistent, but it's happened throughout the season. So if there's a liability in terms of pass protection, maybe running twists and stunts towards the left guard and the center, John Feliciano, I think that's something that could give the Giants some havoc. I don't know if you guys are a big twist stunt type of team, but I think the upside for for a guy like Azudu, especially as a run blocker right now, he flashes really, really bright. So the Giants aren't going to, the Giants, I think, could own the point of attack more than likely against the Lions. I think that's something that they're going to attempt to do. So that's what I'm going to expect, similar to what they did against the Houston Texans. A lot of Saquon Barkley, a lot of running the football, and they have a varied rushing attack, a very varied rushing attack where it's not just zone, it's not just power gap. They'll do a bunch of different things. They'll run weak side to the boundary. They'll run strong side to the field. They'll do They'll, they'll try to remain unpredictable unless they're in that eight man offensive line front where they're just like, we're going to run the football. <laughs> yeah. Well, we're, we're definitely accustomed to that in Detroit. We, uh, we, we have seen Dan Campbell and, and Ben Johnson load up on an offensive lineman before. So um, I, I guess we, we've kind of danced around it 
Jeremy and 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 Nick, but the thing is, I don't think we've had a single first bite where the first two things that we talk about are the running back and the offensive line, and then finally we get to the quarterback. Um, and, and I think the Giants are unique in this situation because I guess Nick, the, the question is like, have you guys figured out who Daniel Jones is yet? Like, is he the guy moving forward for the Giants? Is it all kind of hey, there's a real feeling out process right now with with a new coaching regime in New York? I think it's a game by game evaluation with Daniel Jones, but they didn't pick up his fifth year option, which does say something. I think he is playing the best football of his career. And I always find myself rooting for Daniel Jones. I think he is a very conscientious, hardworking individual who says and does the right things. First guy in the building, last guy to leave all those coaching cliches, but I don't know if he's the long-term answer here. I think though the giants might, their best move and Daniel Jones' best move is to come to some sort of contract, one to two year type of contract. Giants can get out of it after one year if the Giants are not in a position or don't love the quarterbacks coming out of the draft. A lot of people expect that the Giants to be picking in the top six, top seven, whatever. They're playoff bound more than likely, meaning they're going to have a deep first round pick. I don't think it's terrible, even though you have Tyrod Taylor under contract. I don't think it's terrible to bring Daniel Jones back. People are like, oh, he's going to get 30, 35 million a year. I'm like, there's a market though. Who is paying Daniel Jones that much money around the NFL with the 31 other teams? And where is Daniel Jones going to have a better opportunity to thrive than here with Mike Kafka and with Brian Dable? So I think next year, Daniel Jones might be the quarterback, but it's not, I don't think the Giants are going to be shelling out a long-term deal. I really don't. So in terms of, is he the long-term answer? I'm going to lean towards no. I think eventually Brian Dable and Mike Kaff are going to look to add their individual, their guy. I like Daniel Jones. I think he can make all the throws. I think he has developed in terms of his mental processing. And those were some of my big concerns. Can he process the defense post-snap? I think what Brian Dable and Mike Kafka asked him to do, he's done everything very well. I still think there are times when he's hesitant in the red zone. I think if his first read is eliminated, he's a little bit He's a little bit hesitant to pull the trigger on that second read. And I also think this coaching staff is telling him, hey, if the B gap comes open, because the tackles are going to try to push everybody out, the center and the guard are going to try to block down. If that B gap's open, take it with your legs. And I think that's good. But there are times where he's taking it with his legs. If you look up, though, man, there, there's there are some guys open. And I just feel like in the NFL, everything is so bang, bang. And Daniel Jones hasn't consistently shown the ability to take advantage of those bang, bang type of situations. And that isn't me sitting here knocking Daniel Jones. Like I said, I think he is a, a fine quarterback, but I think you could possibly upgrade over him in the future. And I think that's what Joe Shane and Brian Dable will eventually end up doing. And and you look at his stats, you know, his turnovers way down, only two interceptions so far this year after throwing like 29, I think, in his previous three years. Um, but it's his ADOT, his, his depth of target is second second lowest in the league. Is that by design? Is that the the, the coaching staff protecting them? Is that a maybe a, a function of, of having poor wide wideouts? Or or is this just or is it is it Daniel Jones maybe being too afraid to, to push it downfield? I think it's a combination of everything. I think the offensive yeah. line is definitely involved with yeah. that as well. I think the Dallas Cowboy game in week three really kind of exposed what this New York Giants offensive line, their issues, essentially. I, I think 
Micah Parsons and and everybody there, Demarcus Lawrence, they were just beating the crap out of the Giants' protection, and it led to Daniel Jones using his legs so frequently. And then in Chicago, the main part of the game plan was to not take any true pass sets. And Chicago does not have the defensive front of Dallas. Don't take any true pass sets, and then use the play action rollout. And that's when we really saw Daniel Jones' legs be leveraged and his legs be utilized. So I think that little adjustment after Week Three helped the Giants' offense as a whole, but it didn't necessarily lead to more passing attempts. I don't think this Giants team wants to pass because they don't have anybody to throw the football to. The The weakness of this Giants offensive line is pass protection. So they're just going to do everything in their power, as Brian Dable has said and plenty of times, to just win the football game. And I think the best chance for them to win the football game is to keep the game close, to run the football, to be efficient, to play mistake-free football, which means don't throw as much as possible because some bad things can happen when you have bad protection and a quarterback who has made mistakes in the past putting the football in harm's way. So why throw the football if you're actually getting four or five, six yards on the ground with Saquon Barkley? And I think that makes sense. So overall, in terms of throwing the football downfield, they haven't necessarily done that, but they are they don't necessarily have the wide receivers who are creating ample separation. I think Darius Slayton has done a really good job doing that. Wanda Robinson, he's more of a slot guy who seems to be dinged up because I think he was he didn't practice today again. So it's like, oh, geez, what's happening there? But I mean, we, we can get into the wide receiver situation. It's It's been ugly right now for the New York Giants. And the Giants have spent a first round pick in the last two years on a wide receiver who isn't on the wa- roster right now with Kadarius Toney. And they paid a wide receiver $72 million that you guys are pretty pretty quite familiar with if I'm not mistaken. I, I, yeah, I've heard of the guy. Um, <laughs> but yeah, I, I guess, Nick, my, my question about the wideouts and the uh, receiving situation in New York is, you know, who is their go-to guy? Like if they need a guy to run a route, to make a play, got to count on this guy to make a catch. Is it Darius Slayton? I mean, I, I saw a, a hilarious statistic from Football Outsiders that uh, Slayton would actually be the highest in DVOA for wide receivers if he qualified while Kenny Galladay is the lowest among all wide receivers. Makes sense. Yeah, that checks out. It would <laughs> it would be Darius Slayton right now. And Darius Slayton at the beginning of the season was buried on the depth chart. He was a guy that was running with the third team offense during training camp. Everyone thought he was going to get cut. He took a pay cut to come back because I think the Giants could have saved like $2.5 million on the cap. Giants are very cap strapped right now for a variety of different reasons. That could be a podcast for another day. <laughs> but Darius Slayton took the pay cut. Giants brought him back. He doesn't add anything on special teams. So we're like, well, what is he going to do? You know, we have Kadarius Tony. We can't. Galladay, got Wondell Robinson. Where is this guy going to fit in? Where is he going to play? Now he is definitely their primary wide receiver in terms of vertical separation, in terms of stretching the field, and in terms of what he can do around the line of scrimmage. I mean, the the Giants had Sterling Shepard too, and he ends up tearing his ACL out. So like that's another huge loss that the Giants suffered. It would have been Sterling Shepard, but right now I would say it's Darius Slayton. I like Wandale Robinson, but I feel like Seattle and Houston had a plan to take away the middle of the field. Basically, anytime those teams were in a cover one or a cover three, anytime one of those safeties that they had rotated down into the box into a robber type of position post snap, they just basically double teamed Wandale Robinson with whoever that middle hook or man covering defender was or that robber. So they just kind of focused on Wandale Robinson and said, everybody else can beat us through the pass. But again, the Giants don't really traditionally pass that often. So that's another reason why we're not seeing Wandell Robinson thrive in the role. I think that Brian Dable and Mike Kafka want to get him going. They just haven't necessarily done so. And the defense has done a good job kind of eliminating him. But in terms of Darius Slayton, he's the one player that I would focus on if I'm the Detroit Lions to stop because he's the one with the hot hand as of right now. And Kenny Galladay, it's, uh, it's bad. It's not great right now because yeah. this is somebody who 
I mean, he had the good game in week four against the Saints. People were like, oh, nice. But, you know, at that point, we were all a little bit hesitant, like, what's going on? You know, $72 million, not really seeing anything quite yet from this guy. And then during the offseason, it was really negative during training camp. Season starts, drops a couple passes, ends up getting injured. And then last game was his first game back. And everybody's like, hey, you know, he's back. Coming off of a bye week. We're six and two. Everything is good. Let's get Kenny Galladay going. Daniel Jones throws a pass a little bit out of reach for him, and it hits him in the hand. Don't really count it as a drop, but still, good receivers come down with that. And then there's a second and five play where he runs a drag route. Everybody else clears everything out. This is something that Mike Kafka does very often. And Daniel Jones puts a dime right on him. Should have been a 20-yard gain, which is very rare for the New York Giants passing offense, and he just drops it. And it's just like, oh, and then the boo birds came out. He played one more offensive snap. And then Isaiah Hodgins, who has been on the team for like a cup of coffee, uh, ended up starting and, and coming up with a couple big catches down the stretch of the game. So it's been really bad for Kenny Galladay. He's hearing it from the fans. He's hearing it from the media. And I, I on a human level, I feel bad for him yeah. because there's something there's something off going on because I don't think he's the guy he was athletically. He was never like a supreme athlete, but I think the the surgeries have caught up to him, but now he's just dropping footballs left and right, and that's uh that's this something mental possibly. Yeah, it, that's unfortunate too. And he's 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 an emotional guy. He's he's very open and honest with the media when when he wants to talk. And so yeah, I I don't like seeing him you know struggle, even though you know makes the Lions look smart or whatever. Like <laughs> no, I, I I wanted I wanted to see him succeed, and it's unfortunate it's not working out there. But uh, we're gonna take a break here. When we come back, we're gonna talk about when the Lions have the offense going up against that Giants defense. So stick with us on First Bite here as we preview Lions-Giants Week 11. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. And we are back on First Bite with Nick Filato from uh, Big Blue View and the podcast Big Blue Banter. Uh, let's talk about when the Lions have the football. And I want to start with maybe my favorite player on, on the Giants, and that's Dexter Lawrence, uh, their, their nose tackle slash defensive tackle, mostly lined up over the nose, yet still manages to be an absolute menace uh, in terms of pass, you know, pass rush, but also pretty solid run defender as well. So just... Can you just talk about him for a little bit? Because I'm fascinated by a player that that, that can do as much as he does. And I, I don't want to call it Aaron Donald-esque, but like I was pulling up stats this year side by side and he's just as disruptive this year. He's insane. He's playing at an unreal level right now, Jeremy. And he is 340 pounds. So Aaron Donald, for reference, right. is Different about players. 280. But most 340 pound men cannot move or bend like Dexter Lawrence. And he was doing this his entire career. In terms of explosiveness, all of the athletic traits that you can think of and strength, power, all of those things, he's always had that. Like this is somebody who had like 40 something pressures his freshman year at Clemson. Like he's always been 
that type of dude. But when he got to the NFL, we didn't see him finish those sacks as often. He was still pressuring the quarterback. He had 43 pressures last year in what was a lost season. And I feel like a lot of Giant fans or just a lot of people in general always kind of lazily slap that label of he's a two-down run stuffer. He's not a two-down run stuffer. He never was a two-down run stuffer. But right now he's being used in a way under Andre Patterson, the current Giants off or defensive line coach, that is different than he's ever been used. He's basically a nose. He's basically a one shade, primarily most of the time. He used to be a four eye in the, in Patrick Rams defense. And there were reasons for that that did make sense. But right now, the Giants are doing such a good job forcing one-on-one -on -one matchups for Dexter Lawrence, and he's just dominating them. It's not even close. Some of the centers that he's gone up against, he's effectively ended their careers because he has just been so well. He's very explosive. He plays with excellent leverage. And I think the thing that has made it made him a little bit better this year than in years previous is his hands. He is so efficient with his hands. He has a pass rush move. He has a secondary move plan. And then he knows how to counter off of that if those two moves are shut down. Typically, those two moves aren't shut down all that often. So I'm excited to see him against Frank Ragnow because I know Frank Ragnow is one of the better centers in the league because against like the Sam Mustafers of the world and, and you know, Scott Quisenberry last week, you know, bless his heart, he tried, but like, Dexter Lawrence had nine pressures last week. You know, like he was all over the place. He was, he's a game wrecker. He has the ability now to take games over, which only a few defensive linemen in the league have that true ability. And I feel like the Giants have definitely won in Dexter Lawrence. And another guy we're going to talk about here in a little bit, he's not too far behind because you mentioned Dexter Lawrence. He's like, you said he was a solid run. He's a very, very good run defender. I honestly think he is in consideration for all pro type of status right now. He's playing just out of his mind and I'm, I'm so happy that the Giants picked up his fifth year option and that his his skill set is finally being actualized because he's also just so long too yeah. he's only 25 years old like it's it's uh it's good it's it's very good for the New York Giants that he's playing like this I mean the Giants too as you mentioned you know on that defensive line game changers uh they drafted one that they're hoping to be a potential game changer in Kayvon Thibodeau and and you know, Nick, I think Lions fans have really kept like a side eye on Kayvon all season long on Trayvon Walker, a little less because, you know, Trayvon was off the board, so it really wasn't even an option. So but I, I really think the debate came down to Aiden or, or Kayvon. And and I'd like to know a little bit about, you know, how Kayvon's playing. I know Wink Martindale had, you know, just glowing things to say about Kayvon, despite the statistics not really being the eye popping, eye catching numbers that that you would assume with a, a uh, you know, top of the first round draft pick for an edge rusher. I really like what Kayvon Thibodeau is doing. I would agree. You would want him to finish more sacks. He has 18 pressures on the year. His one sack was a game ceiling sack against Baltimore where he stripped Lamar Jackson. And then he had the wherewithal and the intelligence to know to hold Lamar Jackson in place to allow somebody else to pick up that fumble. I think he is an incredibly intelligent young man in terms of his football IQ. I love when he is in front of a microphone. I thought one of the laziest narratives in, in draft media recently was that he was a me guy and he didn't care about football and that he took plays off. Now, I don't have access to all the college football film, but the college football film that I saw, I never saw Kayvon Thibodeau take any plays off. Like, I'm wondering if this was a situation where a team put that out there <laughs> and people ran with yeah. it. Because I find somebody who was making tackles, he tackled Travis Etienne 50 yards down the field in Jacksonville in week seven. Like he's, he's making plays all over the place. And I think where his game is really showing up right now is as a run defender. He struggled a little bit against Dallas. Dallas and Kellen Moore really just out-schemed Wink Martindale in that week three matchup. But 
teams were and teams do have a lot of success running laterally against the Giants. But last week, first play out of the half, the Houston Texans tried to run a jet sweep to Brandon Cooks. Kayvon Thibodeau is that conflict defender right there. Kayvon Thibodeau sets high, boxes Brandon Cooks inside to his rallying teammates, and then he sheds the tight end and then like Superman dives at Brandon Cooks to make the tackle. And there are little plays like that that he makes every game where you're like, oh, wow, man, that's very impressive. Do I want to see him expand his pass rushing plan maybe a little bit more, find a way to get to a counter a little bit quickly or a secondary move? Yeah, I think it's fair to say that. But as of right now, I'm I'm pleased with what we're seeing from Kayvon Thibodeau overall. I think it's just that the stats aren't there. People are going to be negative, similar to how the stats weren't there for Dexter Lawrence last year and people were negative. I, I, I like Kayvon Thibodeau, and um, I, I'm hoping that the sacks will come, even though he has a tough matchup this week. All right, so we've we've talked about Kayvon. We've talked about Dexter Lawrence. Leonard Williams is kind of the other guy in, in this defensive front that's really good. And and I'll let you talk about him for a second. But as a unit, though, I'm, I'm looking at all these ta- talented guys on the defensive front, and I'm looking and seeing that this Giants team is also giving up 5.5 yards per carry, which is worse than the league. So how do you square those two? What's, what's exactly happening? How are offensive linemen or, or, or running games beating what should be a very, very talented defensive front? It's all because of power gap plays to the outside that forced the linebackers to read, react, and attack and sift through traffic. Teams are not running in the A-gap against the Giants. They don't have any success. I think Damian Pierce had a 44-yard run in the A-gap. Dexter Lawrence wasn't on the field for it. Justin Ellis just got bullied to the ground, and then Dane Belton took a terrible angle down to the alley. Should have been a seven-yard gain, ended up being a 44-yard game because... Xavier McKinney has a broken hand and Dane Belton is forced to play every snap, who is a rookie out of Iowa, who I like, but still could be a liability on the back end that the Detroit Lions could attempt to exploit. Teams are not running inside against the Giants. They are running laterally. And Leonard Williams missed a couple games. I feel like that had somewhat of an effect on it. But even when Leonard Williams was there against Dallas, you align wide receiver, tight end, reduced split off the tackle, block down on the edge. Pull your play side tackle, have him lead block your wide receiver outside of them, stalk block the cornerback. And then you have these linebackers who a lot of this season, they've been playing like chickens with their heads cut off. Now, there's been a big change, though, to the linebacker group. Jalen Smith, who has struggled in the past, he was the will after the Jacksonville game when the Giants got gashed for 147 yards by Jacksonville, which doesn't sound like a lot. But honestly, guys, watch the film should have been like 247 (laughs) yards. Travis Etienne. Christian Kirk, Zay Jones, name a Jacksonville Jaguar offensive player. Anytime they had the football, they had a cutback lane. They they had somewhere to go, but they ran directly into a New York Giant. I can't comprehend it, but it <laughs> happened. Anyways, the, the Giants took Jalen Smith. They moved him to the mic against Seattle. And the Giants' run defense was so much better. And Tay Crowder ended up taking a secondary role, and the Giants started ingratiating rookie out of Indiana, fifth-round pick Micah McFadden into the lineup. Kenneth Walker ended up getting a touchdown, but he had – Double-digit carries for like 55 yards. Couldn't really get anything going. And the Giants typically are much better against zone rushing teams than they are power gap rushing teams, which seems to be consistent around the entire NFL from stats that ESPN have reported on earlier this week. But now Tay Crowder played two snaps last week. And Tay Crowder has been an issue. He was Mr. Irrelevant in 2020. Cool story. Probably shouldn't be starting. Micah McFadden came in. And I felt like Micah McFadden and, and Jalen Smith were in position much more often than than Tay Crowder was against Damian Pierce. And I also think what the Giants did from a defensive perspective, and they're going to do this against the Detroit Lions, I believe, which they did against Houston, was tight front, three guys inside the tackle box, can't run the A and B gap. We're going to have both of our edges outside of your most outermost guy. 
Now, if you have like three tight ends to one side, he might split the difference and line like directly over the top of that third tight end. Sometimes, though, what Wink Martindale liked to do to just cause havoc and create one-on-one matchups for those interior guys was he would take Michael McFadden and he would blitz him right in the A-gap. So that center had to pay attention to him. So now that center and that guard, they can't double-team Dexter Lawrence. So now Dexter Lawrence has a single guy. Jalen Smith loops around, and now Jalen Smith is that player who is going to account for De- uh, Michael McFadden's gap on that side. So I feel like Wink Martindale's also assisted this entire run defense and, and it made a little adjustments to maybe make it a little better. But in the past, and what still could be a way to have an effect against this team to, to affect them is to run outside power gap outside. That's where the giants really struggle. It's those linebackers fault more so than Dexter Lawrence, Leonard Williams, and the rest of those guys. Well, Jeremy, I think we have to ask Nick about the pass rush and specifically when it, when it comes to the giants, you know, looking at advanced metrics and looking at blitz rate, the giants are first in the league. Like they are a very blitz prolific team. Is that a product of, you know, they, they like certain matchups that they can get with guys? Is it just Wink Martindale's an aggressive dude? Like, what is it, Nick? Wink Martindale is an insanely aggressive <laughs> dude. And he said it when he took the job here. Pressure breaks pipes. We're going to bring the pressure. We want to dictate to the offense. And we've seen that in almost every game. There were certain games where he wasn't as aggressive. Like against Jacksonville, he didn't bring the pressure as much as you would think. And I think a big reason was because they used so much eye candy, so much power gap that they had to respect their run fits. They didn't really want to pressure as much. But there were a time with Jacksonville, they they got, what was it? Christian Kirk got tackled at the one yard line to end that game, right? So during that drive, Wink Martindale called drop eight three separate times. To, to slow down Trevor Lawrence. That's not what you would associate with Wink Martindale. He's full-on pressure. And I'll tell you, man, his bag of tricks are fun, dude. He has so many different types of pressure looks. He is going to load up the line of scrimmage with seven, eight guys. Two guys are going to drop off one side. Simulated pressure, bring two to this side. Four ends up rushing. He's going to bring five. He's going to bring six. He's going to bring seven sometimes. He's going to run a lot of cover zero. They were cover zero, uh, number one in cover zero for a while. I'm not 100% certain if they still are. But... He's going to try to get after you, and he's going to incorporate basically every single one of those players into his blitz packages. Like last week, he loves to flood the B-gap. This is something he used to do back at Baltimore all the time. He's going to send Kayvon Thibodeau wide. That's going to force Pene Sewell to open up. He's going to send Leonard Williams right through the inside shoulder of that guard. That guard's going to fan and then block down. So now you have a wide open B-gap where he's going to send Micah McFadden or Jalen Smith along with Dane Belton or Darnay Holmes. And that's going to create a two-on-one against your running back in protection. And he does this a lot. And he makes it unpredictable. He he has a bunch of different tricks up his sleeve. So I would, I think they're going to bring the pressure against Jared Goff because I think Jared Goff is a good quarterback when everything, or is a solid quarterback when everything is perfect. But yep. if you get the pressure on this dude, he's going to make mistakes and he's not that mobile. So I'm expecting a lot of pressure packages from this defense. And that's, I think, one way for the Giants to win this football game is the pressure Goff stop the run and try to stifle that play action passing attack. Yeah, and that, I think that that's, everything you just said is one of the reasons why this Giants team is, is dangerous on third downs. One of the best third down defenses in the league because Martindale sends a lot and, and is really good at disguising it, like you were saying there. Absolutely. Um, Absolutely. Yeah. Well, yeah. Let, let, one, one more thing, too. I wanted to, Just because you brought the third down. The Texans went three and out their first three drives against the Giants. On each of those third downs, it was like a third and 10, yeah. a third and four, and, and like a third and uh, seven, so third and medium somewhere. Giants had a different blitz each time. 
And each time it was effective. He completed one of those passes, but it was like five yards before the sticks and a Dory Jackson just comes and hits uh, Nico Collins and forces him out of bounds. Because the Giants are going to play off a lot because they're going to bring the pressure. They're going to allow you to have those six, seven yard little gains. Just get the football out of your hands very quickly. They're going to give that to you, but you're not going to create many explosive plays unless the Giants pressure does not get home. And usually when he dials up the blitz, the pressure does end up getting home. Yeah. And it should be interesting now too, because looks like the Lions might be getting some of the receivers finally back. DJ Chark has returned to practice. I would imagine he probably gets activated on Saturday. We'll, we'll obviously wait and see on that one. And then Josh Reynolds returned to practice today. So let's talk a little bit about the Giants secondary. Uh, I know they're young. I know there's, there's been some injury replacements. So what's the status there in the secondary? You mentioned uh, McKinnon being out and, and they're having to start that that safe, that safe rookie safety. So where are kind of the, the, the pressure points that you can put on the secondary that, that the Lions might be able to, to get an opportunity to, to get it through the air? If, if golf is standing upright, if golf is standing upright. Yeah. So the giants on paper don't have that great of a secondary, especially now that Xavier McKinney is injured. So for those who don't know, Xavier McKinney during the bye week went to Cabo and he rode an ATV and he fell off of it and he broke his hand and he's a team captain. He's the green dot where he played every single snap. He's invaluable to what the defense is. And he's an excellent football player in his own right too. Now rookie fifth round pick, safety out of Iowa. Dane Belton is in that role. You still have Julian Love back there. We'll get to him in a second. But Dane Belton, I feel like, is excellent at baiting quarterbacks. And this is something he did at Iowa. He had five interceptions. Following one in zone coverage, specifically following one route while keeping his eyes on the quarterback and then coming off of it, knowing that there's a route coming in another way. I think he's a very smart player, but he still makes his mistakes. I think his angles of entry in run support are problematic. So that's going to be a little bit difficult against the Detroit Lions who run the ball pretty effectively. So that's my thing on Dane Belton. He had his first interception last week, but it was a bad pass by Davis Mills. Cover two, he tried, he, the honey hole was, you know, 10 yards, five, 10 yards beyond where he threw the football. And he threw the football basically right where Dane Belton was supposed to be in the deep half look. Like it was just a bad decision by Davis Mills. But uh, in terms of other players though, on, on this team, the, oh yeah, with Dane Belton, what was I going to say? Dane, ADD's getting me right now. Oh yeah, Dane Belton almost had several interceptions throughout his entire time uh, this season. He dropped, he just narrowly missed one against Carolina in week two. He almost had one before he had one last week against the Houston Texans. He dropped one on the goal line against Lamar Jackson and he had another one that he missed as well. So this is a guy who knows how to get around the football. That is Dane Belton. In terms of the rest of the secondary, the other safety is Julian Love. Julian Love is a very good football player. He's a captain as well. So he's more of a special teams captain, but now he's a defensive captain. He's going to do everything. He's going to line in the box. He's going to be the apex defender, the nickel. He's going to line over tight ends. He's going to be used in a variety of different ways. And he's one of the more underrated players on the New York Giants. Now the starting corners. I think Adoree Jackson is phenomenal. He's having a great football season right now. Then, um, no one's really talking about him as one of the top corners, but he's not really beat all that often. He got beat on one touchdown by Tyler Lockett. It was a really nicely timed double move. But other than that, he's had a very, very solid season. So I expect to see a lot of a Dory Jackson uh, making plays and being in position and not getting beaten man coverage because he's very, very fluid. Now on the other side is Fabian Moreau. Fabian Moreau started very well uh, when he first got into the lineup because the Giants wanted to start Aaron Robinson. But Aaron Robinson uh, ended up getting injured with his knee, 
and he had an appendectomy and then he came back and then he injured his knee. So that kind of sucks for the kid because he's just a second year player and he missed his opportunity. But Fabian Moreau is a veteran, been around the league for quite a while, has really made some high impact plays like that play on Christian Kirk at the one yard line. Fabian Moreau was the impetus to that play. Last week, he gave up some catches to Nico Collins, but I still think he is playing better than a lot of people expect him to play right now. I like Fabian Moreau, but then there's the slot. There is Darnay Holmes in the slot. And I think Darnay Holmes is a physical pound for pound. He's very strong, but he's like five foot 10, you know, 190 pounds, maybe 200 pounds, but he's, he's not the biggest guy. But his matchup against the sun God himself, I'm on Ross St. Brown. I'm a little nervous about because Darnay Holmes is susceptible in man coverage, not the most disciplined with his feet, and he likes to get grabby. So that's, I think, the if I had to circle a matchup to, to focus on, it's more than likely that matchup for you guys to attack. So I think uh, Darnay Holmes against Amon Ross St. Brown is something that I'm a little bit hesitant about as of right now. All right. I think it's time to move to the prediction part of our, our uh, first bike podcast. It's the thing that we call the one thing we think we know where we make one prediction about the game, not necessarily a score prediction, just one thing that we think is going to happen in this game. And Ryan, I always make you go first and this time is no different. Ryan, what is the one thing you think you know about Lions Giants? Well, let me take my quick victory lap. Um, last week, I said the one thing I think I know is that the Bears are going to average at least five and a half yards per carry. That just barely made that one. Just just, just <laughs> barely made that one over by a shade. Thank you, Justin Fields. Um, <clears throat> so victory lap over. The one thing I think I know about Lions Giants is that it's not going to be a one score game. I think that it's going to be a two score game. And you're not gonna you're not gonna point to either team at this point. I don't want to. Like okay. I think I, I truly think it could go either way. I really do. I just I, I so think you think that, it could go either way, but yet you're making it a two score game. Yeah, I think it's gonna be a decisive okay. victory for okay. for one of the teams. I think that's the one thing I think I know is that like I don't think you're gonna get to the end of the game and you're gonna say like oh man that really could have gone either way like you were watching Bills Vikings from a week ago. You know what I mean? Like <laughs> I, I think you're gonna come out of this game and you're gonna be like yeah that that team deserved to win because they, they went out and proved it. And like these teams are so close in DVOA. Don't you think that there's like a possibility that that could happen? I guess, but if you, if it could go in either direction, I don't know why you wouldn't just say it'd be a one score game. I don't know. I'm trying to get a little bit more bold. Okay. I would say sure. that's less bold. <laughs> I, I don't know what that was. <laughs> uh, all right, Nick, I'm, I'm going to make you go next. What's the one thing you think, you know, about lions giants. Yeah, I think I'm just going to go with my score prediction. I, I had a score prediction of 27 to 24 Giants, I believe, is what I ended up going with. I think there'll be some field goals. I think it's going to be a little bit of a back and forth game. I think the Giants will win this football game if they can pressure golf by via the blitz more than likely. And if they could stop the run, which is something that they've struggled to do. I don't know exactly your guys' rushing attack. Are you guys more of a... We're going to pound it up the middle, hit laterally. I think you guys do a lot of eye candy. Like Ben Johnson does a pretty good job with bit, disguising yeah. what he wants to do. And if that is the case, that's going to give the Giants some problems because the Giants want to possess the ball. I'm sure the Lions want to possess the ball. They Both do. of them can't possess the ball more than the other. So it's going to be uh, fascinating. But I think 27-24 Giants is my score prediction. Yeah, and I think that's why I probably would expect it maybe a little bit low scoring, lower scoring than that just because I think like both teams, I think they love those 14 play drives. Like the Lions had a, a big... I can't remember how long their first touchdown drive was, but they, they like to bleed clock. They like to do the kind, a lot of the same things. I, I think these teams are very similar in a lot of ways, uh, at least philosophically. But 
I'm going to say the one thing I think I know is that the team that gets into fewer third and longs is going to win this game. Because I think when the Lions are in third and long, Jared Goff is going down or he's going to make a mistake or, or something bad is going to happen because they are going to dial up the blitzes. And then I think the Giants, I think that's not their game when they're in third and long because they have to be in maybe a more traditional pass set. And like you said, that's that's not their game. They they don't necessarily have the personnel for that. They don't necessarily have the pass protection for that. So I just think the team that avoids third and longs is going to win this game. Simple enough. All right, Nick, I'm going to give you the floor here uh, to promote your stuff. Where can people find you? Um, what sort of things can they expect from, from Big Blue View or, or your podcast? Um, just, yeah, the floor is yours. Jeremy Ryan, thank you as always. So you can find me on Twitter at Nick Falato. That is F-A-L-A-T-O. I co-host the Big Blue Banter podcast with Dan Schneier of CBS. I am a writer for Big Blue View, the great Big Blue View. Ed Valentine is my boss over there. And, you know, we do a lot of extensive X's and O's type stuff. I host a show with Chris Flum over there called The Chris and Nick Show on the Big Blue View radio network. And in terms of what you can expect, just a lot of X's and O's type of breakdown and Everything is tailored mostly around the New York football giants and who they play. So let's hope, you know, I don't know if this, this cast will, will agree with me. Let's hope the giants can get their eighth win of the season. <laughs> you guys had enough wins, right? Like just, just give us one. It's fine. Right. <laughs> yeah. Hey, you guys, I mean, last week you guys were down by what? 10 Jared Goff threw an interception. Yeah. that got negated by a penalty. Like a lot of things like you guys, a very, you guys, a very, a very, a very real penalty, by the way, Bears very fans. real penalty. Yes. <laughs> But uh, in a very Giants-like manner, you guys won that football game. It's coming true. back in the fourth quarter yeah. and just seizing the opportunities that were there for you. Closing out games, which is not something that, that Lions fans are accustomed to, especially on defense. But uh, but we'll see if they'll be able to do that again uh, for a third straight game. Nick, really, really do appreciate your time. Again, go to Big Blue View and check out his podcast called The Big Blue Banter. Um, I'm sure wherever you can get podcasts, but, uh, thank you, Nick, for listening. Thank you to Ryan as always for being my co-host and thank you all for listening as well, or our live audience for watching. Uh, but until next time it's chaos. Be kind. 